We've been going through a series in the book of 1 John, as many of you know, and it's been a several week long series and we have many more weeks to go. In fact, we're right in the middle of it. 1 John has five books and we're right in the middle of 1 John chapter 3 with two and a half chapters still to go. And I came to 1 John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 is such a beautiful communion verse that I told the team, let's bump communion up one week and do it this week. So we're going to do communion this week, but it's going, going to go along very well with our verse today from 1 John chapter 3, and we'll get to that here in a bit. But we're going to talk about knowing something today, knowing something today. And for our icebreaker today, I'm going to ask this question, how well do you know your pastor? I've been with you almost nine months, and so I think by now you've had a good sample size of what I am and how I think. And I'm going to quiz you. What's that? <laughs> and you guys, you know the, how much I love you because I'm still here and I haven't seen that moose. So that means I really love you. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I have 20 questions. We're going to go fast through these and just quiz yourself. Let me know who has to get the best score, okay? Where was I born? No family. Who said the United States? Phyllis. We'll give Phyllis half a point for that one. Does anyone know where I was born? Michigan. Good job. I was born in Michigan. What is my middle name? It starts with an M. I'll give you a hint. David knows it because he knows the files. Does anyone else know it? Marcus. That's right. That's right. Little Marcus is named after me. Um, so my middle name is Marcus. How many states have I lived in? Five is a good guess, but not right. Four. Does anyone know how, what the states are? Four is the correct number. Iowa, Michigan, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. There you go. What's that? And Well, I, I live in that state. That's a state I'll always be in. But you notice I continue to rise in elevation. So next stop, Swiss Alps. Uh, how many years have I been in full-time ministry? That's a good guess. What did you say? 16 is a very good guess. Almost. 15. I'm going into 15 years of full-time ministry. That's a very good guess, though, Monica. What did I do before I was a pastor? Youth director, close. What's that? I worked with my dad. I did. College ministry. Who said it? Nice job, Jamie Rose. I was a missionary to colleges and universities for 12 years. Oh, here we go. What school subject did I like the best? You have two. There's two answers to this. You can give a right answer. What, who, what was it? Both, both wrong. I actually hated both of those. No, I, no well, actually, I'm going to give you half a point. Because one is right, and one you're not going to get. So I'm going to give you a point for that one, because one is history, Russian history. I know, that's very strange, but I took Russian history. I think my teacher was really funny. And uh, Russian history is bizarre. So for some reason, that, that kept my interest. The other one is English grammar. I know, usually that's one of those subjects everybody hates. I liked it. What is my ideal weather? Cold. It's actually not that true. I don't like it. Very, very cold. Fall. Fall is right on the money. 52 degrees with a breeze, sunny. That's my ideal weather. I do like it cool, though. Definitely like it cool. I got the fan on me right now. Where is my happy spot? Right in the pulpit. Good guess. I'm going to give you half a point for that because that should have been my answer. That should have been my answer. Now I feel guilty. So I lose a point on that one. My happy spot is the covered bridge down by the river district. And there's a reason for that. When I 
was candidating here, I went down by that river, that bridge, and I prayed and asked the Lord, please let me come here. <laughs> and he said, fat chance. No, he said, of course. So every time I walk down that bridge, I have those memories. It's just a sweet memory. How tall am I? 5'10". Wow, really? I'm a shorty. 6'1". Who said it? I heard it. 6'1". Someone said it. 6'1". How tall was I before I lost my hair? 6'6". Six, six. Way up there. No, that's a joke. What is my least favorite food? Some of you should know this. Least favorite. I don't like sushi. That's a good guess. But no, that's not my number one. Number one least favorite food. Who said it? Fellow onion hater. Joel, I do not like onions. In fact, I call it the forbidden fruit. Bad news. I just don't like it. Never will. What do I wish my nickname was? Do you ever th wish you could choose your nickname? I have a nickname I wish people would call me, but they don't. What do you think of it? Not Moose. Moose? What? That would be an ironic nickname because I've never seen one. Todd Father. Think about it. Think about it. I'm the guy that invented Toddcast. So think about it. Todd Father. I have eight kids. It's brilliant. Someone needs to start calling me that. What is my greatest phobia? Spiders. Not spiders. Spiders don't bother me. What is it? Snakes is up there, but not number one. What? What? What's somebody say? Taxes. What's that? Moose. Oh, a lot of moose answers. No, my greatest phobia is being called to move to the south. I would also say my microphone being hot when I'm singing. That's a, that's a phobia every pastor has. Thankful to the tech team up there for keeping me muted. Um, what do I think happened to all the moose? Speaking of moose. What happened? They knew I was coming and they left. In fact, I asked my son that question. He said, you think they went all to Pennsylvania as soon as you came here. Actually, my answer to that question is I think the old man of the mountain fell on top of them. <laughs> Could have happened, right? Could have happened. They were all underneath there and it just happened. What is the most touristy thing I did when I came to Littleton? It has something to do with Chudders. It's even worse, though. It's even more touristy than just going to Chudders. It's really bad. Like, really hacky. What's that? I bought candy. Even worse. More touristy than that. I... I hate to admit this because it's so embarrassing. I took a video of the candy counter. Like, I thought I was the first one that ever tried it. I was like, I have to video this long candy counter. And then I realized what a dork I was. Um, who was the first person I met at Crossroads Church? Not Pastor Mark. That's a good guess, but it's not Pastor Mark. Someone in this audience should know because they are that person. Not David. Not Anne. Celeste Goodhue. Everyone treats Celeste. If you like me, treat Celeste well, because she gave a very good impression of Crossroads Church. She really did. Celeste, good job. What is my greatest strength? The gospel. Love. How about this? What is my greatest strength on the earth? Having children. Family man. That's the kind way of saying it. My wife is my greatest strength. She clearly is. Yeah, I'm going to get brownie points for that one. Here's one. What are my kids' names in order? Does anyone want to try it? Anyone feeling brave today? Cheryl's out. Cheryl's like, nah. You, could you get them in order? Let's hear it, Peggy. Marcus. Marcus already out. I'm sorry. That's okay. You want to try again? 
nice job. That's impressive. Good job, Peggy. Someone's paying attention. Well done. She had the twins, right? Well, the twins technically, Titus came out first, but same day. I mean, come on. That's, we're going to give you that one. Who was my favorite preacher of all time? Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. You guys have been paying attention. What is my favorite book of the Bible? It's not First John. I do like First John, but it's not First John. I, I actually have two, and I'll give you a right answer for either one. Anyone? Where's Matthew? Say it. Hebrews and Colossians. Two of my favorites. What is my favorite verse? I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, so this, this probably isn't fair. Romans 8, 28 is a good one. A very good one. My favorite verse is Acts 4, 13. Mark it down and look at it sometime. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful verse? I want that said about me at the end of my life. Anyways, we're going to talk about knowing something today. If you have your Bibles, you can join us in 1 John, but we're going to do one half of one verse today. It's 1 John 3, 16, a, okay, we're not even going to do the whole verse today. 1 John 3.16, the beginning half of it. What's interesting about a church is we all have a bunch of different backgrounds and perspectives. The church is made up of a bunch of different people's personalities and backgrounds. If you ask people in this audience to tell them about their background and their upbringing and their religious experience, they'd all be different, wouldn't they? Why are we all here together in one body then? What is our common denominator, our profound common denominator isn't it the sacrifice of Jesus isn't that what binds us all together as a church family that one profound sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross is our common denominator as a church we would all say that is why I'm here that is why I'm alive that is why I have hope that is why I'm a Christian is that Jesus died for me that's our common denominator and so that's what we're going to celebrate today as we do communion at the end of this lesson and I told you, we're right in the middle of 1 John. 1 John has five chapters. We're right in the middle. We've done two and a half chapters. We have two and a half chapters left. And so it's a good time to sort of pause and remember sort of the point of 1 John. And we're going to do that today as we look at that one powerful verse. In fact, if you know this, the children have been actually memorizing the verse that we're learning today upstairs for the last several weeks. If I had thought about it, I would have had them come down here and quote it for us. But my children have been learning this verse and have been quoting it to me for many weeks. So I've been looking forward to this verse. We're going to ask this question today. What is love? What is love? It's one of those questions you think you know. You think everyone knows. It's such an elementary question. If someone asks you what is love, you'd probably be able to say that's an easy question. Of course I know what love is, but do we? Does the world know what love is? It's a curious question because if you do some digging, you find out maybe they don't. Now, when we use the word love, generally as a community as a culture what we really mean is we enjoy something right now i do know someone that really does heart donuts and there's a picture of him there hearting donuts but when we say we love ice cream we love donuts you know we love a certain band a certain tv show what we're basically saying is i really enjoy them i really enjoy that thing but we use the word love don't we i love blank but we also use it for people we use it for our god of course so it's it's somewhat of a confusing word if you ask someone, what is love? In fact, I did a little bit of digging online, and I asked this question, what is love? And these are some of the answers that I came to. No definite answer. 
kind of undefinable. It's the most, one of the most searched phrases on Google. Did you know that? People are asking that question. What is love? Which means they don't know. Number three, love is an abstract feeling. We feel it, but we can't really define it. It's kind of intangible. You know it when you see it, but you can't really put your finger on it. It's not measurable or quantifiable. It can't be explained, just felt. Isn't that interesting? You feel it. Again, you see it. You know it when you see it, but you can't explain love. No two persons will give the same answer. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think we'd get a couple same answers, but it means there's a lot of variation in this word of love, right? And there's also many theories of love. Do you agree with that? Do you think the world would line up with at least one of those and say love is that? Love is something I can't define. It's something I feel. It's not something you can measure. It's not really something that I can tangibly put my finger upon. You know what I think about that list? I think that's sad. I do. I think that's sad that we don't know what love is. I think love is so important to us, but honestly, most of the world can't even define love. And I think that's a striking thing to know. They try, though, don't they? Love is so important to the world that they try. They try to put their finger upon love, and by saying things like this, love is love. It's love. I mean, you don't really have to define it. You know it when you see it. Everyone has the same thing. Everyone knows what love is, so we're just going to say love is love. It's the best way to define it. Or love means acceptance. Just accept people for who they are, no matter what they are, no matter what they do, just accept them. That's got to be love, right? Just to accept people for whatever they are. Well, love is actually much, much different and deeper than that. And the, the scriptures are going to help us today, but we, we have this confusing idea of love. In fact, I found a lyric from a song you might know from a band called The Righteous Brothers. Interesting name for that group. And they've said this, very deep song, very deep. You've got to bring back that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. Bring back that love and feeling. Because it's gone, gone, gone. And it can't go on. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to sing it. You guys would walk right out of here. That'd be it. That's my greatest phobia. Someone asked me to sing. Not going to happen. But you can tell love is, love is a confusing thing, right? We don't really know love, but we like to sing about love. In fact, I found another one that I thought was even funnier than that one. It's by a person called Jack Handy. He said this. He says, whenever someone asks me to define love, I usually think for a minute. Then I spin around and pin the guy's arm behind his back. Now who's asking the questions? <laughs> I just thought that's an unusual take for love. Really, what we're basically telling you is we don't know. We don't know what love is. Love is confusing to us. Love is something we feel, not something we can define. Love is something we like to sing about. But please don't make us answer the question, what is love? And again, I think that's a very sad thing. Thankfully, the word of God helps us, doesn't it? That's quite the buildup to this first half of this verse here. Because John is going to say to us today, by this, we Christians, children of God, know love. Do you think we know love as Christians? Do you think we know how to define that word? Do you think we know what love is? If someone asks us, what is love, we'd be able to give them a pretty good answer. John says, we do, we should. He says, by this, we know love. We've experienced love. We've seen love face to face. Love has been there for us in the thick and thin of life. I've seen love up close. I hope you have as well. I've seen it very, very close. 
I have not been to the top of Mount Washington. My family went yesterday, kind of, got to the top and kind of saw some fog and gave up. I've never, I've never seen the top of a, of a big mountain of Mount Washington, but I have seen love up close. I have seen the summit of God's love, and I'm thankful to say that that's a reality. Now, what's interesting about the world is sometimes they get close, correct? Sometimes it does seem like the world knows love because they have this thing called love languages, which is deeper than a feeling, right? It's not just something you feel. I mean, words of affirmation, that's more than a feeling. Physical touch can be a feeling. Acts of service, gift-giving, quality time. I even found this quote from a movie called Frozen you may have heard of. And it's quite interesting what they say in this movie about love. It says, true love is putting someone else before you. Now, I do have to amend this a little bit because I'm pretty sure Olaf does not get credit for that. <laughs> Who is Olaf in the movie? Is that the snow guy, the snowman? Yeah, Olaf, you don't get credit for that. That's a pretty good definition, wouldn't you say? True love is putting someone else before you. I think that's actually a pretty good definition, meaning to some degree the world does understand love. You'll see this in our society, right? Chivalry, giving to the homeless, soup kitchens. Even the world understands that we should do things for people. I have actually been loved by common strangers. Have you? Has a common stranger ever loved you? I've had that happen to me out in public. So it means the world does not know, doesn't know anything about love. They do understand things about love. But perhaps they don't know it quite like we, sh we do and quite like we want them to. Because in John 15, the same author of 1 John says this. In fact, Jesus is quoting there. And he says, greater love have no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. You can ask the question, what is love? And you can get a surface answer, a shallow answer, or you can get the deepest answer of all time from Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said the greatest aspect of love is to surrender your life for your friends. To give up your life to lay down your life for someone that you love. So it just depends what side of love you want. Do you want the shallow version of love that the world understands, that they sing about, they can't really define, they feel? Sometimes it comes up in their culture. Or do you want the deep version of God's love? That is going to take the rest of eternity to explore because it's so vast. It's so deep. It's so broad. And that's the love that John is bringing up here today. In fact, we see this deep love all over the scripture. And I just decided to pick a couple of verses that really bring up this concept of this love that Jesus is talking about. In Philippians chapter 2, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to the church, much like a church here. And he tells this church to have this mind among themselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's telling them to think like Jesus. Think the exact way that Jesus thinks, and you will be exactly where you need to be. He says, who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he was God in heaven, he is God in heaven. He was all that God is in heaven. He was getting the glory and the praise and the worship that God deserves in heaven. Jesus Christ, before he came to earth, was God in heaven, in the form of God. But he did something remarkable. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. How come? He's God. He's getting everything that God deserves. He's getting the glory, the praise, the admiration, and he's the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. And yet it says in Philippians 2, 5, he considered it 
better to let go of the form of God for something much more profound. Paul says he did this, he emptied himself. We're going to come back to that verse here at the end. Paul says, Jesus Christ, instead of grasping on to what was being like God in heaven, he emptied himself, completely emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Isn't that interesting? Jesus went from the Son of God, God himself in heaven, to completely emptying himself and coming to this earth as a man, and not just a man, but a servant of man. His own creation that he created, he came down to serve those people. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you notice love? Why would someone do that? Now, our whole society is painted the other way, right? We all want to go up the ladder. We want to get greater, better, more recognition, a greater job, greater prestige, more money, up, up, up. And then Paul tells us to think like Jesus, who went down. He went as down as anyone possibly could. He went from the Son of God in heaven to the servant of mankind to death. Even death on a cross, the most miserable, humiliating death they had during that time. Jesus completely emptied himself. And we're still left with this question, why? In fact, let's ask this question another way. In Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. It's possible that even the world would die for someone who's really worthy of that sacrifice. It's possible. Maybe there's someone out there worthy of the sacrifice of death because they're so good, they're so prominent, they're so powerful, they've been so meaningful in your life that possibly you might even give them what's most valuable to you, which is your life. But it says in Romans 5, 8, For God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that remarkable? He died for us when we were the most miserable human beings we ever possibly could be. That's when Jesus died for us. He gave up his most valuable possession, his godlike qualities in heaven. He came to earth as a servant. He died and he died on a cross and he did it for sinners. People that don't deserve any sort of love. He gave them the greatest love of all time. Paul also wrote the book of Ephesians and he's writing to the church in Ephesus this time and he says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's going to paint a very grim picture to the church in Ephesus. You were not just badly off. You were not just sinful. You were dead in your sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who was that? The devil. We followed the devil, we followed the world, we followed the devil, the spirit that is now at the work of sons of disobedience, among whom, does anyone get to escape this? Nobody. Not one soul gets to say, I wasn't that bad. I was pretty good, I was pretty righteous. God accepted a pretty good righteous person when he saved me. No, no one gets to say that. Because Paul says we all once lived. Following the world, following sin, following the devil, doing opposite of what God created us to do, we all did that. 
living out in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, the sinful mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Do you see how bleak the picture was? Sinful, wicked, cruel, against God, for the devil, carrying out the devil's purposes, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our destiny is God's wrath. Dead in our sins, awaiting his wrath. How do you know love? Because you know God. Because John is the one who told us God is love. When things were the worst it possibly could be, Paul says, but God. Notice it doesn't say, but you turned your life around. But you got with the program. But you repented of your sins. Not at first. It all started with someone else. God. In his rich mercy. Because of the what? Great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Not once we were alive. Like if someone can make them better, then I'll love them. If someone can make them clean, then I'll love them. God said, I will love them in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their death, in their midst of their wandering, in their midst of their allegiance to the devil. I will love them then. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? Amen. How do we know love? Because we know God. How do we know love? Because Christ came and showed it to us and said, you don't have to wonder anymore what love is. I'm going to show you love. I'm going to show you right before your eyes. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, it doesn't end there. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's not that we're just alive again and we get to live our life again. No, he says, I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to bring you with me to the kingdom of God where I can be with you. You can be with me for the rest of eternity. I love you that much. Now, when I look at my little kids, my little girl, especially Felicity lately, I can't imagine loving anybody more. I look at this little girl and I just cherish her. And I said to Janine the other day, how does someone go from I've never known you existed, you didn't even exist, to I can't live without you? Because I love that girl so much. And then I think about the love of God and I go, how could he love me? How is that possible? I know what I am. I know what I've done. How could God love me after what I've done to him? But that's exactly what scripture teaches us. We were dead, according to Scripture, and we were awaiting God's wrath because the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. But then God came on the scene. And we know love because we know God and God made us alive he set us on the path to heaven and he told us I love you with an eternal love and that is a remarkable thing to understand about God's love now we've talked about 1 John 3.16 but it also parallels I think maybe even beautifully parallels John 3.16 because John 3.16 the most famous verse in the Bible says something very similar for God so loved the world that he did what? he gave his only begotten son. Now, I love my church body. I really do. I would do a lot of things for you. You guys remember the love 
or the song, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. You guys remember that? There's a, there's a limit to my love. I would not give you one of my kids, okay? Now I will if you want to send me on a date with my wife and you want them for a night. You can, you can have them all. But I'm not going to lay down my child. I'm not going to. My love is not that deep yet. But God gave up his only begotten son. To who? To such deserving people. No, he gave it to sinners. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Right there. That's love. That is love. That is the deep pool of love. And John's bringing this up. And we told him we'd come back to this verse. Because this, this part right here is going to set us up perfect, perfectly for communion. Because we're almost done with this lesson here today. And we're going to end with communion. And Paul says this phrase. But he emptied himself. Now you and I know what it means, what it's like to give up things. We sacrifice things for our children, for those whom we love. We empty things in our life. But I don't know the kind of emptying that Jesus did. And I never will. I don't know what it's like to be the son of God and to give it all up and to become a servant in human form, to humble myself, to become obedient to the point of death and to die on a cross. I don't understand that. I still don't understand. I've been studying the gospel my entire life, all my ministry life, and I still don't understand why someone would do that. Why someone would give up their most cherished possession, their glory and the prominence of being son of God and come to this earth and die for sinners. I still don't understand that. And it's going to take the rest of eternity for us to grapple with that fact that God could possibly love us that much. That's what Jesus did. He was as full of a cup as you could possibly have it. No one had more glory. No one had more praise. No one had more riches. No one had a brighter future. And Jesus says, I'll give it all up. All of it. Every drop. And I'll give it up for those who I created. But Jesus, they're sinful. They're wicked. They're cruel. Look what they're doing. They're following the prince of the power of the air. They're following the devil. And Jesus says, yes, but I love them. And I love them. And my father loves them. And because we love them, Jesus said yes to emptying himself completely. Now, the interesting parallel there is that when Jesus died on the cross, what happened with that blood in his body? It spilled out. It spilled out. That precious, holy, God-like blood spilled out and emptied. And why did he do it? Because he loves us. Now, I want you to think of a, an illustration here, okay? We're in a raging river, and this isn't hard to imagine. This isn't a joke. This is actual, real life. People have experienced flooding lately. We just talked about that. And I want you to picture yourself in a raging river. And you're with Jesus. And Jesus has one life vest, one lifesaver. He can either take it, the Son of God can take it and live forever because he's the Son of God, and let you die, let me die. Or he can give it up. And we can live and he can die. That's exactly what happened. Jesus was sent to this earth and God said to Jesus, I can spare them. I can. But if I spare them, I cannot spare you. Because sin must be paid for. Or I can spare you, Jesus. You can stay in heaven and become exactly what you've always meant to be. Or, and I can kill them. But I can't spare them if I spare you. Jesus said, spare them and kill me. That's what he said. He emptied himself, he gave it all up, and he died on a cross so that you and I could have life. And so John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us.
That's what it means to lay down your life for somebody, is to surrender, to sacrifice, and to lose. When Jesus came to this earth, he surrendered, he sacrificed, and he lost. Now, yes, there was a great gain for Jesus on the other side of that cross. He was going to get his people back. He was going to get his glory back. He was going to rise from the grave. But Jesus had to experience the loss of all losses, the emptying of all emptyings, the surrender of all surrenders, so that you and I could, what? So that we could know love. You ever had been in a time in life where you really needed love? You really needed someone to come alongside of you and show you love? No one showed us that like the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave up his blood. He gave up his body. He gave up his glory. He gave up his riches. He gave up his praise. He gave up his... Everything that it meant to be the Son of God. He laid on his cross. He willingly let them mock him, spit on him, reject him, blaspheme him. And he continued to stay there and die so that we could have life with him. And John says that right there is how you know love. Not because you sing about it, not because you feel it, not because you have a love language. The reason that you know love because, is because you know the love of God that came down to this earth to give it to you. And John's going to go on to say in 1 John 4, 19, he says, We love. Why? Because he first loved us. We jump on board with love. We think love is a good idea, but it's all because it started with his great love to us. And I think that's an amazing way to open up this time of communion together. It set the stage so well for it. I said, Lord, this must be what you're doing. So we're going to do that now. We're going to pause and remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ.